podcast, you're with Shan Swales. This podcast was established back in June 2021 when I was going through my own burnout to recovery experience. You can hear my story in both episode one and episode six and can also read about it on my blog, which you will find on my website, which is www.adifferentkindofgapyear.com. I decided to create this podcast because earlier on in my own burnout to recovery experience, I found it really valuable to hear that other people are or had been through burnout as well. It helped give me hope that things would definitely improve for me. It validated and normalized what I was experiencing. And it also helped me get a deeper understanding of what I was going through and what could help or, or not help me through to the other side. Each guest that I have on the show has their own unique burnout to recovery experience. And it's this uniqueness that we can all benefit from hearing as there may be something from each of their stories that resonates with you and helps you or your loved ones be able to walk their journey out of burnout. In this episode, we hear from Eunice. Eunice is a clinical psychologist married mother of two who has had her own burnout to recovery experience and has been so gracious to share it with us. Her story highlights the challenges of giving ourselves a break when the needs of others and our role and responsibility with that can't be put on hold. I am so very glad Eunice decided to share her lived experience of burnout to recovery with you all. So without further ado, here's her story. Hi Eunice and welcome to Burnout, a different kind of gap year podcast. Hi. Hey, thank you so much for your willingness to come onto the show and, and share your burnout experience with all of us. Okay, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So, hey, let's start off gently by setting the scene for the listeners um, by sharing what your work and life uh, looked like before your burnout. All right. So a little bit about me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a clinical psychologist and I work in the field of trauma and dissociation. So even before burnout, I've been working in private practice for seven years coming up to seven years which means that the majority of my caseload are quite complex sort of clients I do it now four days a week and before burnout it was four days a week so before before burnout I felt like I had really hit my stride and enjoyed work and was coping with the complexity of the caseload had good support systems set up so that I could keep going. Uh, I was also the main income provider in my family. So I'm married and I've got two kids who are um, now 13 and 11. So they were mm. 11 and 9 at the time of burnout. But before burnout, it um, life was was good. It, it was busy, but it was really good. Yeah. So, Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. You said the the cases that that you see in, in at your work, and and has been the focus of your work for the last seven years, are complex cases you mentioned. And could you elaborate a little bit on on um, that presentation that you work with, you know, on a consistent basis? It's what you face. Yeah. So, I guess the referrals that my uh, the practice I work for uh gets uh you know the the very complex post-traumatic stress disorder sort of presentations with dissociation as a key presentation too so uh, I guess we we get the pointy end of the scale Mm -hmm. and because the practice I work for is quite well known in the field for working with these pointy end clients the majority of my caseload then are the complex clients you know with quite difficult uh, histories to work with. It's a different kind of caseload, I suppose. Yeah, thank thank you for elaborating because uh, we share the same profession. But of course, each clinical psychologist works with different presentations, and and I know, but I wanted my listeners to know. Yeah, you you uh, the pointy end. Uh, I think that description. These complex cases, you know, quite intense and. And it sounds like you had a, in the four days a week that you work, which is pretty much considered full time in, in our world. Yeah. How many clients would you be seeing a day back then before burnout? Before? For me, burnout and the pandemic kind of coincide with each mm-hmm. other. So I usually mm-hmm. use the word pre-burnout or pre-pandemic. My caseload was seven clients a day four days a week. That's considered quite a heavy caseload. And I will concur. We are all unique individuals and and what we can hold, of course, is it differs from clinician to clinician. But yeah, on, on average, that would certainly be considered on the higher end. Yeah, heavy caseload and the complexity of it all as well. And you mentioned there the pandemic as well with the burnout and, you know, it, it coincided. So I'm assuming here that the wait list and, and the requests would have been quite, that would have been increased during that time as well. Yes, it intensified during the pandemic. Yeah. 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 So, so much more need for your service at the time as well. Definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah, moving forward into that burnout experience itself, when did you notice that was happening for you? What happened there? So I mentioned earlier that my burnout experience coincided with the pandemic. So in March 2020, I think that's when we all went into, the whole world went into lockdown. Yeah. And so the first, the first lockdown, so actually I should say that I'm from Melbourne so our lockdown experiences is slightly different to, I guess, the rest of Australia. Certainly. So I, I think that we spent um, 263 days in total in lockdown over mm-hmm. the two years. So that's a lot of days in lockdown. Yeah. If I remember too, I believe that Melbourne experienced the most days in lockdown internationally I could be wrong there you're not wrong I'm pretty sure that we hold the record and it's not really a proud record that Victorians hold because it had lots of as you can imagine impacts um, and still has exactly and I think this is where it's important in terms of understanding your you know experience of burnout is that yeah, this lockdown and and how that affected your work, affected the clients that you saw and all that. Yeah, it it just perspective. It was just, yeah, it was a a different 
I guess, a different layer to consider in, in my own burnout experience. So in March 2020, the in the first lockdown, I, I was still coping. I think there was a novelty sort of effect to that lockdown. You know, every everybody was in it and we were doing what we needed to do. That was the time when I think it had to work out a little bit harder because there was a transition to purely telehealth. I was, I had never done telehealth before, not really. And so we transitioned all our clients to telehealth. So there was, you know, working with the internet and all the joys of technology and trying to guide clients in setting theirs up to and learning to work um, not in the same space as each other. And at the same time as adjusting to that, my kids were at home, homeschooling as well. And then there was obviously a lot of uh, energy at that time to still check in on family and friends, but in whatever means we could. Mm. So I guess, you know, there was a lot going on, but I think I was still coping then. And I don't remember uh, starting to struggle until towards the uh, like towards the end of that lockdown um, mm. and then lockdown lifted for a few weeks in Melbourne and and then we went back into it later on. Mm. But when, when lockdown lifted, there were still restrictions around and I think what started my burnout experience was two, two months after the pandemic started, I had a difficult client, I had a difficult session of a client, a long-term client of mine, and I couldn't bounce back from from that, despite all the supervision and consultations I got. And I think that was the start of um, becoming quite overwhelmed. And and that was the slide. I think that was my, my beginning of the slide into burnout, which actually happened three weeks after that. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so that that, that peak, yeah, was with that particular client and no matter what supervision and support that you sought, it just didn't lift and yeah, no. be overwhelmed. What what else did you notice in terms of, you know, those signs? We're sounding very clinical here myself. Oh, <laughs> well, the signs um, and symptoms. Signs and symptoms. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. What was that experience to, that captured that word burnout for you? Uh, after that session, I, I know I took a day off work and I don't take days off work. I don't have, mm. I don't really have sick days and I don't really have much time off. So, yeah. but I took the, de- the time off. I rescheduled clients and I never rescheduled clients. So I kind of knew that that was something for me, for me to do that. I knew something was going on. And instead of bouncing back, I didn't bounce back from that. It just continued to, I guess, get worse. The signs and symptoms continue to get worse. So I remember lots of feelings of overwhelm going to work. I had a huge sense of dread every time I had to go to work or start work. I was irritable a lot. I, uh, sleep was a big indicator, so I stopped sleeping and, and sleep stayed affected for the next, I think, 18 months um, afterwards. So... And then it was really hard to concentrate. I couldn't put a report together. I had bouts of crying that I couldn't actually identify why. And and I think overall there was this huge underlying sense of feeling really incompetent in in myself, in my work especially, uh, Mm -hmm. feeling really ineffective um, and 
instead of recognizing that as a sign, all I knew to do then was just to work harder. So I'll just work harder, you know, see as many clients as I could because at that time they, uh, I guess the the lockdowns had intensified a lot of their symptoms too and so they kind of needed more support and help and so I would um, supply that to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to my detriment. And I always say burnout I, um, happened on the uh, last the last week of term two in 2020 for mm-hmm. my kids where um, I, no matter what I did, I couldn't center myself, I couldn't ground myself that day. And I rang, I rang my boss, I rang my mm-hmm. practice uh, director, who, who is a good colleague of mine and very supportive, mm-hmm. and told her what was happening. And she cancelled my clients for, for the day. Mm-hmm. And, and then she said that she was going to cancel um, my clients for the next week. And then she took charge of my scheduling for the rest of that time. So I, I mentioned that I was the main income provider, so I couldn't not work for, for my family's sake, so I had to keep working. Yeah. But she, she said she was, going to, um, she was going to draw the boss card and make the decision because I guess she could tell that I wasn't doing well, even though I wasn't willing to admit it at the time. I had the rest of that day off and and then the following week off. Wow. Uh, Eunice, what was that like for you in that moment or, or that week having your boss, you know, you reaching out, letting her know what was going on and her taking the action that she did and as you described that supportive. Yeah. What was that like for you? So looking back now, I, I'm very appreciative that somebody mm-hmm. took the reins, so to speak when I couldn't stop, even though I knew that I wasn't coping. Mm. But at that time, I, I just felt like I had let everybody down. I let my clients down and the practice down, my colleagues down, even my family down. And I felt really bad for my admin team who had to mm. make these difficult phone calls, you know, to to my clients, mm. changing their appointments because at that time they were really, well, I guess there was a lot of pressure to to provide services because there's mm. as you know there's a lack of services around at the moment yes and has been for for a long time mm. so I just felt like I really um I, I let everyone down and I had failed somehow yeah um and that was the most I guess pressing sort of feeling if I remember from that time yeah it's like I'm hearing myself <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad that you shared that because you know of course we would most possibly assume that would be a relief for someone you know especially with what you were describing however that's not what often no. is experiencing right no, now that's right you're experiencing all those things you know that I've failed I've let people down and and all of these people you know not just one person um, family work all the colleagues and yeah, it's a hard space, very hard space to be in. I'm glad there's been a point in which you can look back and 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 those aren't your predominant feelings. And yeah. so yeah, the, you, so having that time off. Yeah. Um, and and you mentioned there the comp, uh, complexity of your situation as well, being a the sole income earner at that time as well. So being able to afford time off. Um, too but yeah can yeah. you take I suppose just going back to that journey and, and and where you were at that time sort of what 
where things flowed from there, uh, from that time away. Okay. Yeah. So after after that week off, I actually went back to work, but I worked reduced hours. So instead of seven a day, I worked. Uh, I saw five clients a day, and mm-hmm. I dropped a day. So instead of four days a week, I worked um, three days a week. Mm. So I could. So then I could actually focus on homeschooling. So yeah, at the at, at that same time, Melbourne entered. Um, you know the the second lockdown, but the really long stage four mm. lockdown. That was yeah. um, the long stage four lockdown. The first one, yeah, um, in twenty twenty where the rules were quite, I guess, quite strict with where we could and could not travel to. Mm. So it coincided with with that time. Yeah. And as that progressed, it started to affect, you know, people in, in lots of different ways. And so there was even a greater pressure as as a psych to be okay enough to, to help, you know, my clients out. So mm. it was kind of difficult a uh, place to be, uh, me not being okay, but having to be okay so that I could continue to be of help. And at the same time, juggle homeschooling and mm-hmm. uh, making sure my kids were okay through mm-hmm. the pandemic as well. So after that week off, I, I remember going back to work, but actually feeling worse than before I had the week off, but having to push myself through it anyway. Mm-hmm. So my director and I, made a plan my supervisor and I made a plan so that I could have as much support as I needed to recover whilst having to work at the same time Um, Mm. and that that included my own therapy Mm. going to work from the center Mm. instead of I was working out of my bedroom at the time so Mm. instead of working from home I, I would work from the practice so that I would have a separation between home and work Uh, the reduced hours and days that stayed for quite a while Mm -hmm. Uh, and also I had a I had a supportive GP Mm, yeah Uh, you know that that kind of plan uh, I think was good to it was helpful to know that there was something that could be done to help but the worst of my burnout actually coincided with the start of that very long lockdown in Melbourne in winter time Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I remember going to see my clients and then um, crying after mm-hmm. sessions because I was so exhausted or having to come home and sleep for half an hour before I could t- tuck my kids into bed mm-hmm. um, I remember a report that took me three weeks to write because normally I can you know mm-hmm. you can just pump out reports you know it's not an issue yeah. but my concentration was so bad and it was really important to me that my clients didn't know that I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was extra work on my part. Um, but, yes, I was very exhausted for a very long time. Yeah, it sounds like those original symptoms you reported, uh, all of them just exacerbated, you know, well, yeah, increased, intensified. Yeah. Yeah, they, they just stuck around. And at the same time, those support mechanisms that, were put in place there that you mentioned like the reduced hours the your gp support things like that you know were were welcomed and and engaged in but it didn't mitigate uh the ongoing uh burnout that your experience had just made those didn't make it worse probably would have been a hell of a lot worse if you didn't have some that's right yeah Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely those things are, are really helpful to know that you're not alone in it, you know, but that, yeah, due to the necessity to continue practicing what was going on down there in Melbourne, yeah, the demand on the psychologists, you know, to, to be present, to be there. And that continual, I, I know I use the word masking, but, you know, not, not wanting that, you know, to be evident to your clients, to be able to be present with them, that takes its toll as well, trying to be present with them. Yeah. yeah whilst being absolutely exhausted, absolutely fatigued and all of that. Um, yeah, wow, not not easy at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, so the I, I think I was very exhausted, but I, I didn't know how to label it straight away. And so all I... I think if someone asked me, how are you going? I would just say, oh, I'm okay or I'm flat. And so I felt like everything was really mm. flat and I had no energy. Nothing gave me pleasure. I cancelled all my social engagements. I couldn't engage socially with my friends or, you know, um, socialise in, in, in any way. Yeah. And all I wanted to do, I remember, was to go to bed and stay in bed, um, but I couldn't stay in bed. So I would um, drag myself out, do what was necessary, and then go back mm. and lie there. And I'm I, not a stay in bed person. Don't do that normally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you. No, it yeah. wasn't me. But I had no capacity to do more than what was required of me for that day or sometimes mm. for that moment, whatever that moment was. So I guess the symptoms really played themselves, the, the symptoms of burnout really played themselves out yeah. over a period of time. Mm. And all those support mechanisms that I set up or got or that was set up, they I knew that they I had to do them even though I didn't want to do them or uh, no matter how unwilling I was to do them, I knew that I had to, otherwise I wasn't going to get better or recover and I needed to get better and to recover yeah yeah so you're doing the yeah just what was required of you or necessary yeah but those things and this is an outside perspective of course is like we're, we're take take taking from you you know the you know, you giving care to other people you know with your clients you know you're in that care role and that's the role we do yeah. play obviously in that that's what we yeah. you know we do it for and but and, and then of course your your children and 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 your family there and then needing you to be in that care role there in terms of being an income provider but providing education along with all the other things That's that right. you know, as very so there's what I'm just hearing the activities you did continue with during that burnout period were all things that required you giving to others and those things that you normally would do that would I would imagine give back to you you know those social things yeah got put aside because you had no energy, you know, no, nothing to give there. That's right. There was nothing coming back to you. No. <laughs> and that we know contributes to, you know, burnout, but also compassion fatigue as well. But for yourself at that time, you mentioned there you 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 wouldn't recognise that. You'd recognise you're flat and you would say that if people asked how you were. Yeah. Did you say that? You did, did say, say that say, to your friends. I said, yeah. I was flat or I was tired. I think I used the word tired a lot. But that, those words, was it in your back of your mind that, yeah, this is burnout, this is maybe compassion fatigue, I'm, you know, this is more than just flat? Yeah, I knew, I knew that. Yeah, I think my closest friends, I would explain that to them. But, I, you know, I didn't have the energy to explain it to everybody. 
um, to try to tell them, you know, this is what's happened to me and I had I just been put on stress leave and I just didn't have the energy to explain it all to anyone other than a few close close friends. Yeah. 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 And I know you mentioned there you had that that support of your work and a health professional as well, your GP. Yeah. Friends and family, I mean, you're mentioning them there and that you were talking to some some of your close friends. Yeah, just that kind of support. What did that, yeah, what was that like for you? And how did that help or not help? Yeah. <laughs> so my workplace was, was very supportive and took a lot of pressure off me to do more at a time of the pandemic where the demand is so was so high they could have the center could have put more pressure on me to work harder or recover faster but there was none of that in fact they put a lot of the brakes on uh, for me when I was unable to put the brakes on myself isn't that beautiful like I had yes. this experience during I mean of course in Queensland things weren't as bad as in terms of the demand on the mental health uh, sector wasn't as huge but of course we it, you know there was certainly an increase and I already had a full caseload before the pandemic hit and yeah there was no as soon as I reached out no pressure I mean I never experienced pressure, yeah. but once they knew exactly where I was at and they could see things that I couldn't even see or acknowledge they just no pressure no pressure and yeah. beautiful human beings and that I'm yeah. absolutely thankful for. Yeah, I'm so grateful yeah. too. And I'm so glad you had that too because it just takes that extra extra load off uh, that yeah. we weren't met. If we were met with pressure, it just would have, yeah, obviously intensified. So, yeah, so you had that support had, yeah, um, from your work. Yeah, I, I had that workplace support and, um, and it really helped with, the you know the sense of shame I think I felt a lot of shame in not being able to continue in the way I have or not cope with the workload or the demands of the pandemic in the way I saw other people coping so the the fact that they were the center that I worked for was so supportive actually took a lot of that away from me and sometimes when I would try to put the accelerator on and go yep I can do more um, I guess I guess when you work with other mental health professionals they kind of can see things sometimes that you can't see and so she, um, my director would say no I don't think so not yet um, and keep the brakes on for for for, for me yeah. and I'm very grateful like I'm very grateful now um, that someone did that. Yeah because there is that I had that experience too where I mean I completely left work and everything but there was a part of me that felt like okay I was ready to go back to some sort of work and I was uh, I was no longer working with my my clinic and I wasn't thinking about going back there but I was working with my psychologist and she put the brakes on <laughs> like it was quite a halt and I was like what do you mean I'm not ready for work <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was like that. but you know I had her she was my you know guide at the time and and she was right <laughs> yeah. she was right it was good that we you know you had that that person in your workplace who could continue to be that outside kind of balancer going yeah not not right now and the <laughs> mental health professional themselves you know and my psychologist obviously being one <laughs> and yes uh who knows your story and knows what's going on and yeah it can just be that voice of reason like yes yeah <laughs> definitely needed yeah definitely yes. <laughs> Great. yeah 
So you were, yeah, your friends and family. So my, my workplace knew, my immediate family, uh, my husband, my kids knew, mm. and my uh, friends, my close friends knew. So I, I didn't know how to have certain conversations with other people. So my closest friends knew and my family didn't know so i chose not to and they still don't know mm. and i chose not to for different reasons yeah. divulge that information yeah. to them mm. so i'm a caregiver in my family and i continue to play that role throughout the lockdowns mm. so but i did it without them knowing what was going on for me mm. yeah and, and that was okay mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you and I had a bit of a chat beforehand and um I think we were talking about you know who you choose to talk to and who you don't is a really important yeah. decision and a very personal decision of course as well and one done out of care for others is but also ourselves and and it's it's not you know, when you choose to talk about what's going on for you, it's not like you have to open the floodgates and talk to everyone about it. And it may not be and often isn't the wise choice for yourself and for the, the, the person receiving it and making those very conscious decisions, which you, you did, you know, and like you said, yeah. and you were okay with that, not telling your, your family. You had others that you, you were sharing. This uh, yeah, I did. Supported. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I had my own therapist too. So I had mm -hmm. my own psychologist that I started working with at the start of burnout. Mm. Oh, fantastic. I didn't yeah. think you that. Yeah. So God, you had a good team around you there. I had, yes. It was, you know, I, I knew, I guess being a psychologist, I knew all the right things to do. <laughs> um, so I implemented that and then, and then I made myself do it. Oh, I hear you. You said it earlier as well. Like you really had to push yourself. It, you weren't, you knew you had to, you weren't necessarily wanting to, or I just had to, you knew it was good. For you. I, I think I had to, but I was just so exhausted. I didn't know if mm -hmm. I could, or necessarily I had the energy to, I, I don't think it was a matter of willingness. Yeah. It was just a matter of energy, exhaustion and energy. That's a really, I was reading something recently about that. Oh, actually, no, it was in my a discussion with um, uh, the next actually podcast. She was talking about that decision about how much you can take on, like you can end up overloading yourself in terms of your recovery and what you're doing to to support yourself. Like that can end up being that's right. Too much. Yeah. yeah. And especially when you're already in the thick of the exhaustion that comes with burnout. Well, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And there wasn't enough energy to go around. Yes yeah all of that at, at that time yeah really good point yeah so you're seeing your own psychologist as well and just do, yeah doing as much as you can yeah yeah whilst also fighting the burnout <laughs> yes or dealing with it yeah yeah, yeah. where from there like because you said this has been a long you know a long time i think you mentioned the time length of eight oh, yes some of the symptoms yeah like sleep and yeah so yeah keep, keep telling us your journey it's like that still <laughs> okay so uh so i i i my recovery i think my recovery has taken about 18 months mm -hmm. so i continue to do my own therapy i continue to work reduce hours only mm -hmm. until this year so I've only gone back to my pre-pandemic pre-burnout hours this year um mm -hmm. so it's been a good 18 months of taking time to really 
recover and give myself mm-hmm. what I needed within within the confines of you know expectations and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, well, sleep was the last thing to improve. Mm-hmm. But also in, in, in that 18 months, there was the, the pandemic for Melbourne, I think, was quite slow going in that we had so many lockdowns last year um, and we were coming in and out of, of lockdowns. And I think that also, you know, would it had an impact on my clinical practice. So we would open up for people to come back at, and then the next week all of a sudden or within that week they would Put us back into lockdown so then we had to go back to telehealth and then the kids were at school and then the kids went at school they were home mm-hmm. learning again so there was a lot of I guess instability and unpredictability last year compared to 2020 and I think all of that had an impact on on me and my recovery and the progression of of, of my recovery anyway so there was a lot of I guess external impacts on how I was recovering at that time. Yeah. So there's lots going on outside of yourself yes. that was impacting your burnout, but also the recovery as well. In that recovery, what were the, because recovery is an interesting thing, isn't it? And it's such a, I always, it is. I remember saying to my clients, you know, when this conversation came up and it certainly applied to me in this process of recovering from burnout is it's a roller coaster <laughs> like um yes it is rounds and arounds and I was just wondering for you like what sort of things that I don't know were like signposts maybe that or, or signposts that I'm getting better but also that these are the things that are working for me and it might even have been insights discoveries I, yeah what was that magic formula not that there's a magic formula but what, <laughs> what is working for you and yes so I think what really worked was allowing the support and the help mm-hmm. uh, professional and personal in because I'm I'm normally quite a outward focus other focus other directed person that's my mm-hmm. normal style of operating yeah I'm um, having the space or having the need to receive care myself was really difficult for me to learn at the start of burnout and I, th- I think I'm much better at it now because I had to learn how to receive care for myself. I think that really helped. I, I should have added that, you know, whilst there were external factors influencing my, my burnout, there were also internal, like my, my own personality factors that uh, I guess <laughs> make the recipe for burnout more likely to happen. So why not? One of the common, I guess, one of the common factors among psychologists other than being other-directed is to have very high self-standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that. I can, definitely. I always remember reading it in the Centre for Clinical Intervention. They have this definition of perfectionism that involves three characteristics. One's uh, unrelenting, high sta- uh, unrelenting high standards or high standards, sorry, yeah. And then they're unrelenting. That's the second aspect that even when you reach them, you then set the benchmark higher. higher. So yeah. unrelenting. So high expectations, unrelenting, and then self-worth based on achievements. And I'm like, tick, 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 tick right? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I can definitely relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I think that contributes to um, mm. burnout or your propensity to, to burnout. And I had to recognise that my own 
standards for myself in terms of clinical practice but also in all other aspects of my life was contributing to that and so having to work on my my own perfectionism my own self high self standards was mm-hmm. an important part of of my recovery and I I did that with my psych my own psych mm-hmm. and I think that that's going to be an ongoing sort of life's work for me because I I always tend towards you know being very perfectionistic, conscientious, uh, work at a certain standard. So I think that's just going to be my my own personal work for for forever. And that and that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's actually quite wise. Like I often use the term to myself, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And it yes. just, to me, that, that phrase just allows me to be aware that I can slide because it is quite ingrained. It's quite there, but I have worked on it as well. And so keep, yeah, just keeping vigilant, you know, yes. vigilant, but vigilant. So yes. yeah, it's why I think it's a wise thing to recognize that whilst I have done the work, I've got to remain yeah, vigilant on that and continue to, yeah, apply the work, apply the yeah, strategies yeah. that you've learned. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. Now, Shan, I've lost your original question. I'm sorry. We were talking about those things that you notice on that road to recovery, uh, whether they were insights, uh, coping strategies, things that were uh, helping towards those signposts that I, I'm, I'm getting better. I feel, you know, able to work more because you mentioned being able to work back up to those pre-pandemic days, uh, pandemic and pre-pandemic yeah. because um, they coincided. So, yeah, we were just exploring that and what those were in that recovery. Yeah, so I guess it was watching those internal uh, factors, my my own expectations for not not working at the level that I always expect myself to work at Mm. um, because I couldn't work at those levels. So learning how to be uh, self-compassionate and kind, listening to what I needed, um, accepting the help, all of that plus the support that I was receiving and allowing in, uh, I think all of that helped. And so some of the signposts of my recovery was that I started noticing things like uh, my concentration got better. Mm. I was a bit more motivated to connect um, socially with with uh, a few people. Uh, and all of these just kind of improved over the mm. next 18 months from, from that time when burnout sort of happened. Mm. So, and then my energy started improving. Mm. What else started improving? Sleep didn't improve for a long time. Yeah. And actually, I don't know if I am recalling this right, but I think there is some research I may have read at some point that often sleeping, the sleeping difficulties that come out of these, um, you know, experiences often is the last one to recover. But I might be recalling that wrong. But I think there is some sort of captured evidence of that too. But it was your lived experience that sleep was the last thing to recover. Yeah. Yes, I'm pretty sure that um, I, I didn't fight it so much or I just accepted it and I worked within the confines of sleep deprivation. I, I remembered what it was like being a mum with babies. And so I just kind of went back to that mode of operating when my babies didn't sleep and I just applied that. I just, you just kind of adapt and accept yeah. that you don't you do everything like a zombie. Um, 
<laughs> so I, I just applied that. But yeah. I also I also knew that there, there is research to suggest that sleep is the last thing to improve. Yeah, so interesting. But yeah, though, so you notice those symptoms that your experience was starting to lift and that was signs that the work that you were doing, all of that stuff that uh, working on your perfectionism, working, you know, it, working in accepting caring, which, yeah, that was a huge one for me as well realized I wasn't so good at that I actually thought I was so did I and then I realized I wasn't I mean, isn't that unreal hey where you can be so yeah. Yeah. but yeah working on all those things contributed to that gradual lift of, of the burnout over time yeah was there yeah. anything else that you wanted to share about that that it, I suppose that recovery experience that we might have missed anything else lessons that you learned from it just didn't want to miss anything there for you sure um, I guess I had to learn that it was okay to go slow as well. So recovery was, you know, I wanted to recover straight away, obviously. Mm. I wanted my symptoms to abate straight away. I needed them to because I needed, mm. I thought I needed to function at the, at my pre-pandemic level, but I had to learn that recovery was going to take as long as it takes, you know, th these are the things I say to my clients anyway, and I had to learn that lesson for myself yeah so rec recovery just took time and there were times where I was okay and then there were and then I would be surprised because there would be periods of uh sometimes weeks where I wasn't feeling okay where you know the cry where I would cry again or I would feel really helpless and hopeless question what I was doing with my work and my life mm. so there would be periods there there were periods like that throughout the 18 months of recovery but I guess those periods just got uh, shorter or the time between them got longer um, so I knew that things were improving but I had to allow myself that space to in the progression of becoming okay again also still be not okay sometimes and learn what I needed at that time and then learn to ask for what I needed during those times to be that you know not filling my days up with clients because I would always have a wait list and I learned not to fill my days if I had a cancellation, if I wasn't feeling up to it rather than just doing it because that's the expectation I've always had of myself. Mm. So I had to learn to check my own energy levels. I had to ask myself, do I want to catch up with this person? Do I have the emotional capacity to socialize this week or do I need another day of quiet and rest and and then allowing myself to say no yeah. and to prioritize my myself that took me a lot well it's still taking me time to learn these lessons but you know going slow I think my recovery was slower than I wanted uh, I can be quite impatient with myself mm. so I had to learn patience with myself and just let it happen and it and it has happened and I'm very grateful that it has happened so yeah it's so like I just hear the, the 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 thought that's coming in my head a lot of unlearning and learning yeah processes yes there was so much unlearning yeah and so complex I think that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of maybe consciously at least that part of recovery does involve a lot of unlearning and learning yeah and it's and that's what makes it so hard uh and rewarding but hard uh 
going through it all. Uh, but yeah, definitely rewarding on the other side of, of things. Yeah. Um, and I like what you point out. Well, it's, it's your lived experience, of course, is that it's not that there's some sort of state that you've reached, like now everything's fixed. This is an ongoing, there's definitely progression, no. there's change, there's growth, there's, you know, yes. um, definitely alleviation of symptoms, but but it's an ongoing thing as well that, you know, that there's, you're remaining vigilant, you're aware. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The things that are contributing and, and staying on top of it and, and they may still, you know, or are still present. I know my perfectionism still there. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I treat her like an entity now. It's like, oh, hi, hello. Here you are. <laughs> yeah. I do that to mine. Yeah. Not, not nice to see, but I kind of just say that tongue in cheek and, you know, but, yeah, it's, it's how you're responding to it now, but it's work, but it becomes easy. Well, yeah, it's, it's ongoing. And I think that with burnout and, and the pandemic, you know, it uncovered, I guess, my own experiences from my past that I had to work through mm. that perhaps led to the contribution of these coping mechanisms that are very entrenched, like perfectionism and having high standards and being other directed. Mm. Um, and so now I'm hyper aware that it takes time to unlearn what has been um, set up from a long time ago for myself so it's I I guess what I'm saying is I know that I'm a work in progress and it's really easy to slip back to old ways of operating yeah and so unlearning is actually a a word that a a friend of mine who worked who walked the burnout journey with me she she and I used that that term a lot we, we talk about unlearning things and relearning different ways of coping mm-hmm. and I guess we she she was a bit of a or she was a cheerleader mm-hmm. she still is a cheerleader for me in in the process of unlearning all of these things but it's yeah I, I guess it's still going to be a process yeah for have, however long it, it doesn't matter to me yeah. how long it takes me to unlearn things so when you say you walk together she was going through it, uh, her own experience as well or being present with you and- no she was just present with yeah. me oh that's lo- it's lovely to have those cheerleaders and that's why it's so important to speak out you know to you know not obviously as we've talked about not everyone but you know to trusted others and so you can have that support someone who's yeah there for you um can cheer you on and and also yeah. doesn't you know take your shit you know can point out stuff no they you know they can tell you the truth as well and you're like oh don't like that oh yeah but yeah yeah they would go hmm do you think that's a good way <laughs> of um thinking about things or going about things <laughs> that was often my husband and god i wanted to like oh no <laughs> i'm like damn it you're right <laughs> yeah. that. but hey um I feel like yeah thank, thank you so much you've you shared so much there that is going to be so rich and, and helpful for for those who are listening the thing that just the last sort of yeah. thing that well a couple other things I was just curious you know for people listening out there particularly just focusing a little bit on people who uh, might have a loved one, uh, you know, friend, family, partner, colleague that uh, who they're like, oh yeah, I'm noticing this in them. What kind of guidance would you yeah. give them with approaching or, or, or supporting that loved one, that person they care for, you know, in, in burnout? Uh, if, I, if I think about my own experience and what helped me, 
the, the most rather than the, you know, the, the clinical answer to that, because there is a clinical answer to that. So I think what was most helpful were the, the friends or my husband who just came alongside me and said, you, you don't have to do this alone. I'm here for you. Now, how can I help? Um, rather than, you know, advice giving or problem solving, I think what was most useful was what, how can I help right now? Um, and help might look like it looked like you know can you do the dishes today because I can't do it mm. or can you can you vacuum today because I just can't get out of bed today or um, can you put the kids to bed because I I need to go to bed mm. myself or can you just watch mm. a a Netflix show with me because mm. I can't talk to you right now but I just need company so I think that was most what was most useful for someone to say I'm here you don't need to talk if you don't want to, but I'm just here and how can I help you? Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. And how can I help you right now? Right now. Because it was it was different. Every time was different. And often, correct me if I'm wrong, like in that moment too for yourself that we don't even know necessarily we, we don't know the answers to those bigger questions. What do I need? Or, or how can I help if it's open like that? Often we're thinking about the biggest stuff, whereas if they ask, what can I do right now? How can I help right now? It might be easier for uh, yeah. that person in the thick of their burnout to be able to go, yeah, um, can you do the dishes? Because, yeah, I don't have the energy to. Yeah, or um, for me it was often just need a hug <laughs> just yeah. me in silence often it was silence and like my head's loud enough for everybody we <laughs> don't need yeah just needed silence and a, and and hug yeah it was for me yeah presence yeah yeah no that's really cool any anything else there or that yeah that's the one that stands out for you i i guess i appreciated people who 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 notice but then weren't afraid to say they noticed um, because I think that's hard for support people. Sometimes you can see that your loved one isn't doing so well or they're struggling with something, but it sometimes it's hard to know how to say, hey, I noticed that you're you're struggling, what's going on for you right now? But I guess if you notice, then it would be helpful to to just inquire, you know, just with curiosity and some compassion, just inquire what's happening. Yeah. I think that that would be something else that I would say yeah. would be helpful. Yeah, no, def, uh, most definitely. Uh, and I love that you acknowledge it is hard to do for that support person, and but so valuable when you hear that. And sometimes because you don't even know yourself, the depths of it, it does help you go kind of, yeah, reflect in and go, hmm, yeah. And yeah. you have a person who's seen that just helps you be with, with that and know that you're not alone in it as well they're present that's right yeah Yeah. they're still there yeah and there is professional help out there yeah so if if you don't if the support person doesn't have the capacity or the skills or the resources to help Mm. um a gp is a good first port of call yeah um and then help can unfold from there and I think that's such an important message too, you know, because a lot of people out there are, are suffering on all different levels. So to be able to, you might notice someone's not doing okay. However, if you're not okay, you know, one of the things we you know can do 
directing our, our friend, our family in that conversation. Well, not directing them, but, you know, but yeah. you know, uh, like letting them know that there's support out there. Like that don't feel like you as the support person has to take it all on. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah. And that's so important. I mean, you, 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 I, and I think most of the guests that I've talked to, yeah, I have, um, and people that haven't been guests, but that I know they've been through those stuff. They've yeah. accessed some kind of uh, professional support outside of their personal support network. So yeah, it's very important. Um, it's important and there's there's always this myth you know that psychologists we're we're the ones who are meant to hear everything and be okay with everything but actually psychologists are humans too and I think that was something I had to learn Uh, I already knew that but I had to learn that it's uh, as psychs you're not immune to to anything either because at the end of the day we're all humans too and so I think sometimes it's hard for mental health professionals to ask for help or to say they're not doing okay because there's this mm-hmm. quiet and silent expectation that we're supposed to be, I don't know, what's uh, okay, super, <laughs> super compassionate robots or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That might be a bit harsh. But I, I guess, you know, from my experience, mm-hmm. I'm not I wasn't immune and I don't know if anyone really is no because you 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 nailed it because we're human too and because we are human a human under that kind of consistent strain of uh caregiving and and I'm simplifying here like always that compassion out eventually something's going to happen yeah. you know and and like you know it was multiple things coming at once too for you you know with the pandemic and often it is for everybody it's not just one thing that's right yeah, yeah. and and so some of those care things that we are doing things that you know give back to us energy get lost in in, in all all of that and yeah it's just a, a recipe for burnout but that's psychologists any mental health any health professional because they or any any role out there where it's care out you know even your emergency people your emergency mothers mothers, fathers you know anyone in a um, you know carer caring for elderly parents or whatever like you know if we're consistently in that role because you're human you'll eventually something's going to give yeah and I think that's a really important thing but there's there is a particular unwritten or unsaid rule or something that somehow because as psychologists we do have the tools and the knowledge that we wouldn't uh succumb to stress conditions like burnout or any mental health conditions but but just because you have the knowledge and skills doesn't mean that it'll prevent it because you need to have other elements like time and space and that's yeah that's right so yeah it's it's because we're human too but that's something that i'm hoping and i'm so grateful for your willingness to come on to the podcast and share your story because i think the more uh representations of different professions but particularly psychologists and other mental health professionals to just normalize and validate that this does happen and and it's okay and there's a you know there's certainly a community of people who who can um support and, and and bring you through this it's okay to admit that you're not okay and get the help you need yeah, yeah. is there any other takeaway messages that you want to leave the audience with you know it might be you know sharing something to someone who's listening and going oh god realizing that they're not okay and that they're experiencing burnout and um, yeah is there anything that you 
want to leave us with? Uh, okay, so I, I guess my take-home message if someone's going through it is that there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, not to, use that, not to overuse that cliché. But I guess when you're going through it, you you can only see the next moment and the next moment um, and then the next day maybe. It's hard to see the big picture. And, and I guess people said that to me and didn't feel true at the time. But there, there is hope and things do get better and they can get better and you can get better. But recovery takes time. And if you allow it to take time and you don't, and you don't rush it, I think I, I learned that it does get easier over time oh thank you so much Eunice uh yeah really appreciate everything that you've you've talked about today and yeah yeah thank you very much that's okay thank you for having me you're welcome and thank you for doing these podcasts my pleasure I'm going to keep going for as long as I can (laughs) I love doing it Before you go, I'd just like to say a big thank you for listening to this episode of Burnout, A Different Kind of Gap Year. If you'd like to get in touch to provide some feedback, please do. There's lots of different ways that you can uh, through either the where you're listening or tuning into on the podcast. Sometimes there's facilities there or you can email me at a different kind of gap year at outlook.com. I'm also on the social media pages, both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, which is under the handle burnout a different kind of gap year if you did like this and or feel like someone else would benefit from listening to this please share it don't keep it to yourself the more we can talk about burnout the more we can normalize and validate this experience for all people out there and um, support them in, in getting the help that they need Uh, So that's it from me. Uh, Please subscribe if you'd like to uh, be informed when the next episode releases. But usually it's the first week or two of the month. Uh, So yeah, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Burnout, a different kind of gap year. But until then, take care.